Welcome to Voicebox, public radio's in-depth and eclectic weekly series about singing and the best of the vocal music scene, coming at you via the dial and the web. I'm your host, Chloe Veltman. Thanks for joining me. Tonight's show is recorded on location at the Mondavi Center for the Performing Arts at the University of California, Davis. I went there to hear a concert by Cantus, a world-class men's vocal ensemble from Minneapolis, and to chat with two of the group's members about their work and about the men's choral landscape more generally. The track we just heard was Cantus's performance of one of the first known works of polyphony, Sederunt, by the great 13th century French composer Perrotin. The song comes from the group's latest album, on the Shoulders of Giants. For full playlist information relating to tonight's show, as well as all kinds of other useful information about our series, please visit the Voicebox website at voicebox-media.org. Join me now at the Mondavi Centre for a conversation with tenor Erin Humble and baritone Adam Reinwald of Cantus. <laughs> me a little bit about the roots of Cantus. How did this group start? The group started in 1995 uh, with students at St. Olaf College in Minnesota, uh, and uh, it started with four guys that just en enjoyed singing together and uh, maybe going to have lunch after they sang for a couple of hours. And um, then the group grew uh, to have more people and to explore some different repertoire. And in 1998, uh, 12 guys took a tour, uh, six weeks on the East Coast, and uh, it was a kind of a start of something that was a, that might turn into something later, and it was we saw the seeds grow a little bit. And then in 2000, um, after everybody had, uh, at that time, when there were students graduated, it turned into a professional ensemble in Minneapolis. And um, 2002, about, we were able to kind of leave some of those other side jobs away and become a full-time ensemble. And uh, starting in 2000, around there, we started touring nationally uh, full-time. It, it grew out of a, a real uh, love of, of just singing with, with other guys. And it was, it was as innocent and pure as it could have been and uh, turned into something that we thought might work as a profession. And uh, lo and behold, we've been, uh, a number of us have been doing this for the last uh, 12 years, uh, quite a bit, uh, full-time. And uh, it's been great to bring in new blood and to see how new energies have fed the group and given it new directions and uh, completely new ideas. And it's been a lot of fun. It grew out of an impulse just for a love of singing with other guys. Why just guys? Have, were, you, were there women involved at all from the start? Nope, uh, it was just guys. Uh, at St. Olaf College, as, as a freshman, uh, you are split into a female choir or a male choir. And then after that, it's all mixed groups. And so I think these guys really, really found something as 
as young singers that they really wanted to explore with just guys. And to keep that sense of, um, I, I think that we saw in the country that a, a lot of men's singing um, isn't necessarily happening um, in nearly as much as women singing. And I think there was a little bit of a desire to see how far a men's group could go and see what it would turn into. Well, this is a really interesting point. I mean, it's true that uh, when you look around, not just in this country, but frankly, the country I'm from, from the UK as well, um, there aren't a lot of men doing much singing. And it seems, you know, they, 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 there are boys' choirs and they're there for a little while and then their voices break. And while there seems to be a movement now to encourage the boys to keep singing through the break, I mean, for many, many years, <laughs> that wasn't the case, right? Um, can you talk a little bit about um, Cantus's role in educating or getting boys to keep singing, basically, or encouraging men as well? Absolutely. Uh, with, with Cantus, we do a lot of educational outreach. So oftentimes when we're touring, that will be coupled with uh, the contract from the presenter, which is a way for uh, them to get the community involved, but also a way for us to sort of have a deeper experience when we're in that community. So it's not just breezing through town, singing a show, um, you know, maybe meeting 500 or 1,000 people, and then we're out. Uh, when you spend time in the, in the local high school uh, or the local elementary school singing a concert for the kids, it really gives you deeper roots in that community. And I think when you come back the next time there is a connection that maybe wouldn't have been without that outreach. But at home, we, uh, we do something that is even a deeper connection with the community, and that's a residency program with three Minnesota high schools each year. So we try to coordinate with uh, an urban, a suburban, and a rural school so that we're really getting a mix of students in different communities. And then we visit those schools throughout the year. We work with them on their music that they're singing in their own concerts. Um, probably some of that music will show up on the big mass concert at the end of the program. And then also some pieces that we choose with their educators to do as mass choir pieces. And sometimes Cantu sings with them if there's a like a separate men's part. And sometimes we just let them do their own thing. But that that is really in an effort to encourage young men to be singing and young men to be proud of, of their singing. I think we've made great progress uh, in recent years in, in the United States. And in terms of men not being afraid to be singers, especially young men. And perhaps I'm seeing the world through rose-colored glasses because we are going into programs that are supportive enough that they would bother to bring Contus in to work with them. But uh, you know, a lot of the times when we do interviews with sort of mainstream press, they ask how glee is affecting Contus and it, directly not at all, but I think it has certainly raised an awareness of how much singing can mean, even in a you know cheesy Hollywood sort of way, uh, how how much singing can mean to young people. And the interesting thing about uh, men's choruses is that if you go back a certain number of years, you find them everywhere. If you go to certain parts of of Northern Europe, especially, you find them everywhere. Uh, in Minnesota, I think people are a little more closely connected to their European roots than perhaps other parts of the country. And quite a few of the companies there still have musical ensembles. I know 3M, most people know for post-its, they still have a men's chorus that is made up of 
just guys that work there, engineers and, and probably some of the guys that are working on the line as well. Uh, also in the Twin Cities, I believe the, or, the, I believe the oldest choral ensemble is the Apollo Men's Chorus, which is over 100 years old, and they're still singing. Obviously not the original members, <laughs> but there is one guy who I think has been singing with them for like 60, 70 years, and he's in his 90s. But, you know, at some point that sort of fell away, and, and singing became something that wasn't manly, it wasn't masculine. Um, but I don't know that there's any sound that is more masculine than a men's chorus singing, because it's, it's powerful, and it's, the tone is rich, and it's exciting, and when people sort of rediscover that, I think that's, that's part of the draw for men's music in general, but I think it's also part of the draw of, of why people love to hear contours. You're listening to Voice Box with me, Chloe Veltman. For playlist information relating to tonight's show, which was recorded remotely at the Mondavi Center at the University of California, Davis, please visit the playlist section on the Voice Box website at voicebox-media.org. Let's return now to the interview I recorded with Aaron Humble and Adam Reinwald, who sing with the men's vocal ensemble, Cantus. Your group makes an extremely powerful and rich sound, and I, I often hear when people talk about men's choruses as as, as being so powerful, as opposed to uh, say a women's chorus, is because you have the potential with the, the men's vocal instrument to um, to sing extremely low, but also extremely high. You know, using head voice. And Cantus uh, is a group that actually you don't have counter tenors; you uh, have tenors, baritones. Bases. So, in a sense, you're not using the entire range of the instrument. Why is that? Why did you make this decision as a group? I think we saw a niche. Uh, there's there's a, a number of tremendous professional uh, men's vocal, vocal ensembles that have SATB voicing, uh, but there aren't any that are just changed voice specific, and or there weren't any before Contus came around. And I think we saw a niche there to to really. Um, take those voices and show what they're capable of, not just uh, not uh, having those sopranos and altos as part of it. But it, as we've gone around and, and now 12 years into kind of touring this, we, we are starting to see groups that we met in the early 2000s that now have been formed and, and, can, and have stayed around for the last 10 years that we're kind of coming back to. And I, I, I like having that sense of uh, starting something or, or maybe giving out some seeds about uh, a, a changed voice group starting in your community and watching that grow and develop into something that is maybe lasting too. And so really that niche of just changed voice was uh, very strong for us and we wanted to explore it, see what could happen. Do you think there's a case to be made also in terms of uh, keeping young men interested uh, 
in singing or, or coming to singing for the first time. You mentioned earlier, Aaron, this idea of a lot of people thinking that somehow singing was unmanly. Well, I mean, it, it's perhaps not surprising in certain communities that they might consider that, you know, if you're hearing guys singing in the range of women. I mean, do you see the cantus emphasis on the lower voice uh, as perhaps helping that cause in terms of making people feel that singing is a masculine activity? Well, I, I, I think that I probably have a much broader definition of masculinity than a lot of people do, and so I would never categorize a countertenor as, as being not masculine. Neither would I, for that matter, but in, I'm talking about the sort of person who doesn't think that singing is a manly activity. I can certainly understand that. Um, I, I've, I've heard this story, and it certainly could be folklore, but uh, I, went, I did my graduate work at Indiana University, and of course they have a wonderful early music program there, but in the in the in the main school of music, the early music folks they don't mix a lot. And uh, the legend is that a countertenor had decided to audition for the school of music, not the early Mu music institute. And a ratherly elderly woman who was on the voice faculty and had been a, a singer probably in the 1940s or something like that when she started, heard this young man audition and said to him does your daddy know you sing that way? <laughs> that was her response as a professional singer. I mean, that blows my mind. Um, and, and to just sort of circle back to your earlier question, you know, I think, you know, obviously when Cantus started, everybody that was singing in Cantus knew Chanticleer. Mm -hmm. And here we are, uh, you know, in, in Davis, California, being so close to them. And I think that, that Chanticleer served as a model of inspiration in terms of this is something that could happen. This could be doable because they're doing it. And they, they'd sort of paved the way for a men's ensemble. Um, but because they were singing, you know, primarily SATB rep uh, with the full range of, of the vocal spectrum there, I think that that's what Adam's talking about with that, that niche. But also... I think that desire to, you know, for that men's chorus experience was was directly related to what, you know, why Kantu started. On tonight's edition of Voice Box with me, Chloe Veltman, we're discussing the world of men's choruses. My guests are Erin Humble and Adam Reinwald, who sing with the wonderful Minneapolis-based men's vocal ensemble, Cantus. Give me a, a sense of your experience of what it's like to be singing all the time with men um, in terms of uh, the music that you're making. Um, how do you go about blending your voices? Making it, what kind of sound are you reaching for? Well, uh, the interesting thing about working with men's voices is you can hear the overtone series in the voice so much clearer. And I think that's, that's actually a kind of a physical reaction that audiences have to men's, men's choruses, is that the, the overtone series pops out so much easier for audiences that that's, I think, 
one thing that they hear and one thing that makes men's men's music really interesting. But it also creates some problems in that um, voices are very similar as far as a range, but very dissimilar as far as timbre, perhaps. So we've worked a lot on, um, not only have we tried to hire people with voices that were complementary, but after you tour quite a bit and are singing every day, the voice takes on a life of its own. And so somebody that may have auditioned for us three years ago and, and become a singer in the ensemble might have a very different voice today you know, on a, on a Saturday than they did when they auditioned and when they originally were, were brought into the group. So we work every day about lining up the basic technique, just getting our technique solid. So we're working with really tall, beautiful vowels that tune well, hopefully, and that's what we, we work at every single day. And it would seem as though uh, those things would already be done by the time you're through with school and on to being a professional musician, but it's not the case. And the voice is so unique every day that we have to work at it every single day. And it's, it's fun because I get to hear uh, the five different tenors we have to hear Aaron singing with Shazor in, in, in one passage has a very different sound than when Aaron sings with Paul. And, and it's fun for me to hear that. And we then decide what sounds best for a particular song, what sounds best for a particular measure, and break down our part assignments in that in that fashion. And so, especially for me as a low voice hearing the tenors, it's neat to experiment in that way. I think um, Adam is getting to the heart of what um, may be described as the advantage that men's groups have, and that is just the the physics of sound and where the overtone series lies. Um, I was once quoted... Um, sort of misquoted, I should say, uh, in, a, in a newspaper article. The, the question was why, about why Contus doesn't have women. And I, I said something about the overtone series and how you know women sing in the range of where men's voices produce overtones, and then they're sort of masked by the women's voices. That's not the reason we don't have women. But uh, you know, the, the gist of his, his comment was, Contus doesn't have women because they'd cover up their overtones. <laughs> <laughs> um, but but that is that's sort of the hallmark of the men's chorus sound is that you have all of these low fundamental pitches and then when they're singing in tune which of course we're always striving to do you have all of those overtones sparkling above the sound and so you have this sort of masculine roar of a sound but then you have all of those those um, like microtones above it and, you know, a tradition that everybody knows for men's music is barbershop. Mm -hmm. And those guys, they're like overtone addicts. You know, they live for those chords to just lock and sparkle and shine, you know, almost to the point of absurdity at times. And if you've heard a barbershop chorus, it's like it can be deafening because they'll all lock in on some chord and it's, you know, they've taken all of the vibrato out and it's completely straight tone and it's, I mean, it just sounds like a train. And that is, uh, in our own way, what we're going for in Contus. You know, we're, we're not ever trying to be a barbershop chorus, but we're trying to find those vowels that are tall and uniform and we're trying to shape the sound so that we get all of that ring of, of those overtones and they can just be there in the room. Sure, if I had the wings, 
wings of a swallow, I would fly far over the sea. Can you think of a, a particular track from one of your recordings that would serve to illustrate this idea really well? One from uh, an album that we made uh, a couple years ago called While You Are Alive. There is an arrangement done by the composer of uh, Luke's Arumque by Eric Whitaker. So his arrangement of that. And uh, he's chosen for a, a, a lot of that piece to have a very um, rich vowel, ooh, that creates a lot of really neat overtones to it. And they're even when uh, the, the harmonies are and the, the notes are stacked so close together, uh, it's still in men's voices, I think, shimmers different uh, differently and and i think more interestingly than than an satb version of the same piece because he's using vowel to unlock those overtones Listening to Voice Box with me, Chloe Veltman. For playlist information relating to tonight's show, which was recorded remotely at the Mondavi Center at the University of California, Davis, please visit the playlist section on the Voice Box website at voicebox-media.org. My guests on tonight's show, all about men's choruses, are Aaron Humble and Adam Reinwald, who sing with the Minneapolis-based men's ensemble Cantus. You commission a lot of composers to write for you. Who do you think are your favorite composers who write for this arrangement of voices, for this men's choral sound? We really love working with composers that have a sense of melody, um, that really write beautiful lines for the voice. But then also these, some composers have not only that capability, but also the um, intuitive sense of writing, um, like I said, beautiful vowels that really let the voice sing. I think the piece that we like the best that we've commissioned over the last couple of years is a piece called Sound Like This by a Minnesota composer, Edie Hill. She's not written hardly anything else for men's voices, but it's just a great piece that is this uh, whirling uh, kind of dissertation on text by Kabir. Chloe Veltman and this is Voicebox. And now let's return to the interview with singers Adam Reinwald and Aaron Humble of Cantus. We've done quite a bit of commissioning and we used to participate in a consortium with other men's groups and we'd sort of pull our resources together. We commissioned a piece by Lee Hoiby, um, 
who passed away a few years ago, great American composer. And um, it's just a three-part, with some divisi, three-part texture. Uh, and the text is a letter from a soldier who was killed in Iraq, like the, his last letter home that he had written uh, in case he did die. And it's called Last Letter Home. beautiful singable melodies and I talked to, to Lee about it at one point and he said that when he write when he would write vocal music he sang everything and he's written operas you know so he sang every line and he's not a singer he's a he was a pianist um, but he said by the time he finished uh, one of his big uh, operas that he wrote for the Metropolitan he was hoarse because he had been singing non-stop for months we always prefer when a composer arranges something he's written for mixed choir, when that composer goes back and rearranges it for men's voices. Um, Randall Thompson's Alleluia, something that Contus has recorded twice. It's, uh, it's really funny because everybody in every choir has sung that piece, but I somehow missed it in every programming cycle until Contus. So I've only ever sung the men's version. So when I hear the the SATB version, it sounds so spread out and disparate because I'm used to the more compact vocal range of the men's chorus. My guests on tonight's show all about men's choruses are Aaron Humble and Adam Reinwald, who sing with the Minneapolis-based men's ensemble, Cantus. Can you tell me a little bit about some of your adventures uh, in first of all in different parts of the country, and then we'll talk a bit more broadly in the world. What have you found in terms of the appetite for men's chorus when you go to these different places, and what are some of the um, other kinds of men's choral configurations that you've come across that you've perhaps found interesting or that you've admired? Um, I think that, especially in this country, male choral singing kind of starts at the college level. We've seen, uh, run into many, many college groups that have big men's choruses. We've also run into high school groups that are starting up, um, maybe 20 guys singing a bunch of different stuff from pop to um, some early music, which is neat to see. Um, some of those are self-led by high school kids, which is always, you know, very heartening to see. Um, and that they're interested in performing pop and early music is cool, cool for us. 
uh, we've run into um, occasional pop groups, specifically uh, professional pop pop groups. And uh, while I think those are becoming more generally co-ed, uh, there's still a very strong tradition. I mean, obviously, Rockapella is a, a name that kind of stays with that that scene for a long time and has, and they're the the gold standard really for that. We've we've even run into a few of the old time community based. Um, European-styled men's choirs. There's a great group out of Boston um, that is the Mendelssohn Singers, and they're still around. They This, I think, is their 150th anniversary, something like that. And it's 90 guys that sing German men's chorus music still, every, you know, three times a year. And it's it's neat to see that that uh, tradition and, and camaraderie, but also tradition of, of strong musical excellence still exists. And while it's a little bit unique in this country, we have a chance to head over to uh, the Middle East in March coming up. And Oman and Dubai, right? Oman, Oman and Dubai. And I've been told that in Oman there is a rather large uh, singing society of just men. And I don't know that it's uh, whether it's um, uh, religiously based. I don't know. Uh, but I have a feeling that it might be um, using some of the uh, Arabic chants. Uh, from you know that tradition and that using that as a starting place for them, but it'll be neat to hear that and see what it's like to experience men's singing, men's chorus singing, in a different country in a different culture. When we travel around, I'd, I'd mentioned earlier uh, the outreach that we'll often do. Uh, sometimes when we go to a college, we'll work with their director of choral activities and put together specifically a men's choral festival. So uh, the the, the director of choral activities there will invite choirs from all kinds of high schools, and sometimes we'll have uh, communities as well. Um, we've run into these a few times, and I, I have mixed feelings. I don't know, it just it seems weird to me, but there are these father-son men's choruses, which I think is a good idea. But there's something weird because then you can like see the, res the like the family resemblance between the two others sing it just weirds me out a little bit but i think it is a great idea sometimes we'll do um outreach uh where we have the opportunity to just go into the schools and oftentimes that is with the men's groups and i think increasingly more and more high schools are starting to appreciate that gender choir model because often when you take the boys and the and the girls and you put them in separate rooms i mean as far back as middle school you can just get a lot more done and uh that will just eliminate some of the awkwardness that is there no matter what you know what that awkwardness is coming from so i think that 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 tradition is a product of of good music education and just good education in general and so there are opportunities to work with more men's groups that that way as well um even when they're they're quite young I'm Chloe Veltman and this is Voicebox. Details for all the music we're hearing on tonight's show about men's choruses recorded on location at UC Davis's Mondavi Center with members of the Cantus Men's Vocal Ensemble are to be found at voicebox-media.org. You can download our free weekly podcasts on the site too. 
And now let's return to the interview with singers Adam Reinwald and Erin Humble of Cantus. Your group is a, a chamber group. Can you tell me a little bit about why you decided to go with this model and what you do with it? So in Contus, we, we do operate as, as an autonomous chamber ensemble with no music director. And for us, it gives us much more buy-in to the process. Uh, when you're taking orders from a conductor, you, you do what you are told, and at the end of the day, you, you go home oftentimes with your ideas still in your head. But this is an opportunity for everybody to be invested in the musical process. So when we approach a program, we take the pieces and we divide them up and we assign each one a producer. So each singer produces a number of pieces on each program. And then that singer does all of the work that a conductor would normally do, score study and research, translation, finding a native speaker, if it's in Estonian or Latvian or something that is sort of beyond the, the normal repertoire of languages for a professional singer. And then we bring that into rehearsal, and once the piece is on its feet, then anybody can chime in, and, and we really sort of activate the that chamber music model from that point. I think it's particularly interesting in a men's group because of just the dynamic of men's relationships and learning when to speak up and when not to, and, and sort of that that dance. I mean, it becomes almost like a very intimate relationship. And I think that that, that really um, contributes to that sort of fraternal feeling that's already there in a men's group. But in a chamber group, the, the amount of trust you have to have is really infinity. It's not every man for himself, but everybody has to be working for the good of the whole. Are there particular people in the group who tend to sort of dominate in terms of negotiations about what you're going to be singing and how? Yeah, I think in, in any um, in any group you'll you'll have a, a few personality types that are a little bit more uh, a little stronger. But we've also kind of uh, put that into play uh, purposefully by uh, having an elected body of three guys that are uh, the artistic leadership of the ensemble. While they don't um, necessarily uh, do anything to 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 lead the ensemble, they are responsible for outcomes. And so, for example, m my job is to be a programming facilitator. So whenever we need to come up with a program, um, my job is to lead that process, not select the program, but to make sure that everybody is chiming in and we actually have something deliverable. And it's become an interesting um, process for me to get used to um, bringing out information from a guy who is normally pretty quiet and and try and bring that good idea out of him as best you know as best I can, and then letting that idea run wild in the ensemble. And so Chris's great idea might spark Tim's thought on something else. And then even though we have some personalities that are stronger, uh, everybody is hurt because everybody has those good ideas, and we we have done that very purposefully. So tell me a bit more about how you approach programming. Then how how do you make these decisions? I think we've really kind of narrowed down our programming uh, philosophy to to be um, a very uh, conceptually unified idea. Uh, each program we do, we want it to have some sort of uh, a conceptually unified thought, whether that's a full narrative or you know an actual story through line is one way to go about it. Maybe it's a theme, and we we hit that theme from a, a various broad angles. But how we program is choosing that conceptually unified idea and then letting everybody r run wild with that, their thought on that uh, 
particular theme or narrative. And so somebody might come up with um, uh, an, er, an early piece from the 1500s uh, that fits that theme. And then another person might hit the same theme with, um, like you mentioned, a Leonard Cohen song. And, and to see those pieces next to each other and back to back is jarring at first for a lot of audience members. But then they hear how they relate to the exact same human condition and it really illuminates a, a new outlook on, on, on the theme for them. And we would love it because it gets us singing a number of different styles, a number of different pieces, and we think it gives the audience a, a, a little window into a different thought process for you know, a, what a choral group really should be doing. You're here at the Mondavi Centre at UC Davis. Talk me through the decisions that went into selecting the particular songs that you're doing here. program is actually a, a different process because it is a collaboration with a theater company. Um, so there were some similar themes in terms of when we workshopped the, the program in terms of improvising on things and, and sort of testing things out together. But in a, in a sort of standalone conscious program, what we do, we, after, after we choose the theme, and that's something we do with everybody in the company, including our, our office support staff, they come in and they have great ideas to offer as well. And then we usually try to sort of wordsmith a title out of that theme as well so that they have something to work with as well as, as the artists bringing in music. And then it's sort of like a call for scores. Everybody goes out and finds all of the music, uh, you know, either in the conscious library and their personal library. Sometimes it's just on recording or on YouTube. So in these programming meetings, we're sight reading through stuff. We're looking at YouTube videos and playing recordings. And then we start to winnow down different areas. And usually pretty early on, we'll be able to f sort of reduce the list quite a bit because we always have 10 times too much music. And then um, we can fall into sort of subject groups pretty easily. And then we'll, we'll start eliminating further and refining further until we, we get to the program. I, I wouldn't call it the world's most efficient programming process. But in the end, uh, since we've been programming fully this way, I think we've created the best programs Contus has ever done. One thing that strikes me about a lot of the men's choruses that I've uh, come across in my life is, is they have a great sense of humor. You know, it doesn't matter whether it's barbershop or a, a more uh, art-focused professional group like yours uh, or contemporary a cappella. For every very intense, serious song that's put out, there's also some silliness, which I really appreciate. I'm curious to know why this is so important within the men's choral environment, because you, honestly, you don't get that with women's choruses. Um, or, or mixed choruses so much? I think that there's a little bit of locker room uh, tension there, you know, a little bit of jocularity that says there's guys together and guys together tend to, uh, you know, maybe make fun of each other a little bit and perhaps a, a small spark of that translates into programming. And I, I think that probably specifically to America, that, that audiences like seeing groups of guys have fun together and sometimes that fun can turn into a little bit of juvenile humor conscious is guilty occasionally too but you know it may be for young singers that helps keep them in the choir and uh for older singers it reminds them of when they were young and i don't know why um women's choirs aren't given that same freedom 
And I think they could be, but I don't, I don't think that they take that by the reins. And I, I, again, I, maybe it's a little bit of that locker room humor. You know, in America, our, our sports are so important to us. And I think that there's a little bit of that that translates. And I'm not exactly sure why, but that's how it is. Everyone, hey, I've got something to say And it touches each one of us every day It's hard to admit it's a little risque But I think that it's time that we all threw our shame away Everyone pees in the shower Don't try and tell me you don't Everyone pees in the shower If you think that I'll judge you, I won't If you're laughing right now, then you don't care Do you guys happen to know of a group called uh, The Conspiracy of Beards in San Francisco? No, I don't know them specifically and I have not heard them, but I did hear them uh, recommended to me by... Uh, a group out of D.C. called the Suspicious Cheese Lords. So the Conspiracy of Beards is a, a group of men. It's a community chorus. It's a bunch of guys aged probably, I don't know, 25 to, to 55 or 60, and they wear fedoras and suspenders, and they sing arrangements of Leonard Cohen songs. Those were the reasons, were the reasons and that was New York. We were running for the money and the flesh. And that was called... so funny about the idea and they even though they're a community chorus they get to tour all over the country and they have a pretty significant profile and they're all just you know regular guys with day jobs who just like to get together to sing arrangements of Leonard Cohen songs so I'm interested in this other cheese lord group that you mentioned what do they do they're a, they're a very good uh, early music group uh, and actually their name is uh, Sushi Piquezo Domine but they're the suspicious cheese lords. And we met them a long time ago in D.C., and they're still together. Again, you know, kind of ad hoc, but they just they sing, sing really well, and they went with a, a hilarious name. And uh, wishing you every success for the coming year. Thank you very much, Chloe. Our pleasure to be here. The interview we just heard with singers Aaron Humble and Adam Reinwald of the Minneapolis-based men's choral ensemble Cantus was recorded in December 2012 at the Mondavi Center for the Performing Arts. The Mondavi Center is located on the campus of the University of California at Davis. To find out more about Cantus, please visit cantussings.org. Information about the Mondavi Center's programming can be found at mondaviarts.org. That's M-O-N-D-A-V-I-A-R-T-S.org. 
This episode of Voicebox has been generously underwritten by the San Francisco Symphony, presenting the San Francisco Symphony Chorus and Pacific Boy Choir, performing Berlioz's Te Deum, conducted by Charles Dutois, February 6th to the 9th at Davies Symphony Hall. Voicebox is an independently produced non-profit project recorded at the studios of KALW in San Francisco. The series producer is Seth Samuel and the web editor is Victoria Lim. Greta Bosel is our marketing and development director. Please support Voicebox. You can make an easy and safe donation by visiting voicebox-media.org or you can mail us a cheque. We're a non-profit project, so all donations made to us are tax deductible. Find out more and send us your questions and comments via our website, voicebox-media.org. And don't forget, you can also connect with us on Twitter and Facebook. If you're looking for me on Twitter, my handle is at Chloe Veltman. I'll play us out now with another track from Cantus. Here's a piece that was originally written for women's voices by Felix Mendelssohn, Lift Thine Eyes from Elijah. This arrangement for men's chorus, which can be heard on Cantus's latest album, On the Shoulders of Giants, is just as moving as the women's version. Have a songful week. <laughs>